Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 1045. Well, it's question and answer day. It's Friday. And so what I'm going to do today is answer a question, and I'm just going to answer specifically one part of the question, and then I will tie other answers to other questions that have been asked as it relates to next week's study, because we're going to continue digging deeper into the Word of God and allow the Word of God to penetrate our lives, to penetrate our emotions, to penetrate our intellect, our minds. Allow it to discipline us to make the right kind of choices that God wants us to make in this present world. You see, we can know the will of God, and by God's grace, we can not only know it, but we can do it. And so how is it that we get into the Word of God and find the answers, the real answers to the pressing questions of life? I have learned over the years of preaching and teaching people and listening to hundreds and hundreds of preachers in the last nearly 50 years. And I can tell you that most, most, not a few, but most pastors are standing up on Sunday morning and looking at their congregation, opening the Bible most of the time. They are answering questions that no one is really asking. And so what I want to do is help you to understand how to get into the Word of God and answer the great questions of life as it relates to your own life, first of all. Because if all you're doing is just getting into the Word of God so you can prepare a message or you can teach a lesson, then you're missing the greatest part of it all, and that is letting God speak to your heart. Not so you can speak to someone else primarily, but so that God can speak to you. And you can allow God to change your mind, change your heart, change your direction, and get you conformed to His will and His Word. And so today we're going to look at a question that comes not from North America, not from the United States, but from Central America. I'm going to begin to take and answer some questions from those who listen overseas very faithfully in other parts of the world. And this question comes from the Americas, from Central America. And the question is, how to lead someone who is really feeling called to pastoral ministry or service. That's what ministry is. It's the primary word for service. What are the signs? Are there any signs? How to direct those people who are seeking God's will to discover if it is a real call from God or not just feelings? Or is it just feelings? Is it just emotion? That's the only question I'm going to answer today because I want to deal with this in the context of a larger question. First of all, we've got to lay down some guidelines that I've already told you about, but I want to reiterate this to these questions and how it relates to that. 
You see, if you and I sit down and say, okay, are we going to do everything according to the Word of God? Well, most people will say yes. Most elders will say yes. Most deacons will say yes. But where push comes to shove is, well, I believe God says this. Well, I believe God means this. And so we have to have a consistent, that means it has to be the same all the time, and it has to be confluent, that is, from Genesis to Revelation, God doesn't contradict himself. God might give us and does give us progressive revelation through the Bible, In other words, we know more in the New Testament than they did in the Old, and I've shown you that over and over again. Isaiah prophesied of the suffering Messiah, and yet the glorious Messiah, and he couldn't reconcile them. 1 Peter chapter 1 says he couldn't even discern how this could be. Well, we know that. Why? Because we have more light. We have more revelation than Isaiah did. That doesn't mean we're godlier. That doesn't mean that we are better. It just simply means this is what the reality is. And so as we study the scriptures, we all have to come to understand that it is consistent. It is confluent and that there are guidelines that we have to use if we're going to arrive at the right answer. You just can't say, well, I believe the Bible's the final authority, then think that everybody's going to agree with one another. And so I've given you the ways, three ways, I believe, that every way that God speaks to us in the Bible, I'm not talking about through dreams and visions, this, that, and the other, but all visions and dreams or any other providential aspect to how God speaks to us has to come up against the objective truth of God's Word, the Bible. Because you might say, well, God told me this in a dream, and it may be contrary to what God teaches in the Bible. Well, if that's the case, well, then you have to conform that dream and its interpretation to the Word of God. Now, I'm just telling you that for people that live in the United States, you think I'm talking some kind of heresy now. But you've got to remember that most of the world doesn't even have a copy of the Word of God. And so they don't have the advantages that you do. That's right. You have copies, many copies of the Word of God in your house, and you don't read it and study it like you really believe it. I'm now painting with a general brush, but I'm just saying, by and large, this is true. Whereas many people in the world do not even have a copy of the Word of God. They would cherish and kiss a copy of the Word of God, not in worship, but just in praise to God, and they would read it every day. But we are so spoiled in the West that we have all kinds of copies of the Word of God, one for every day of the week or two for every day of the week, but we don't read it and study it. So how does God speak to us in the Bible? He speaks to us in precept, principle, and pattern. That is, God gives us direct orders. God tells us by direct address, this is what you do, here's what you don't do. And that's a precept. A principle is not a direct precept. Often in the United States, people will say, well, I want a verse for that. What they're meaning is that if there is not a direct precept for something, then it's not of God. Well, that's just not true. As a matter of fact, that is ignorance and idiocy. That is getting caught up in your own ideas about how God speaks and how he doesn't. God tells us how he speaks and shows us how he speaks, and he does that 
through precept, line by line, by principle, that is, he gives us an axiom based upon two or more precepts. We draw conclusions and behaviors from that. Those are laid down very clearly in the Word of God and the actions that come from that. And then in pattern, many of the things we do in our lives, whether we realize it or not, are not commanded in the Scriptures. We do them because of the pattern of those godly men and women in the Scriptures that we're following. So we have to ask the question, is there a divine call? Well, there is a divine call. It is patterned throughout the Bible. We witness it. The call of Abraham. Now, I'm just starting at those that all of us are familiar with. The call of Abraham. God called to Abraham when he was in the capital of the Uruk people in Ur of the Chaldees in Mesopotamia. And he called him away from there. Look at Moses. God called him directly out from a burning bush. God had providentially prepared him all of his life to speak to him, and that's exactly what he did. He was older when he did that. He wasn't a teenager. Abraham was older. And so God calls people at all different times of their life. Samuel was called. God spoke directly to him when he was just a lad, the Scripture says, just a youth, just a child. God called Jeremiah. He said he called Jeremiah in the womb before he was ever born. Jesus called the disciples as grown men. I could go on and on. There is a divine call. And uh, it's not just a decision that somebody makes and says, well, you know, I think it'd be a good vocation to go into the preaching and pastoral ministry. So there is a divine call, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on that because there's been much written on that, and the Bible is replete with examples of this, pattern after pattern, and we've got direct scriptures, precepts, where God says, this is what I say to you, this is what I ask you to do. So the divine call is there. Now, we're talking about a call to service. There are several calls in the scriptures, but I want to talk about two. The divine call to salvation and the divine call to service. I'm talking about the divine call to service. You see, we wouldn't be serving God if we didn't call him, and we will not serve him long unless we are called, unless we are divinely called to a particular prophetic ministry or a particular ministry of some kind, a particular calling. So please get this down your mind. There is a divine call. You say, well, I didn't receive one. Well, you may or you may not have, but if you believe that you did not receive a divine call, then I want to tell you, this is a problem in your life if you're planning on being used by God, because there has to be a call, number one, to salvation. You just didn't come up with this. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches we're going as hard as we can the other way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord looked down from heaven to see if there are any righteous, and he says there's no, not one. And so he gives this over and over again the scriptures. We're running as hard as we can away from God, not toward him. That's our tendency. And so God calls us to repentance. God calls us to himself. And we answer that call or we reject that call. And I personally believe that the Bible teaches, and I'm consistent in this, confluent in this, this, that no man can come unto the Father except the Spirit draw him, but I also believe that a person can reject that. I don't believe in Reformed theology in the sense of Calvinism. If you do, that's fine. I believe that there is a biblical view of salvation and that you and I have a part in it. That's right. God allows us and gives us a responsibility to choose. 
And we can choose. Oh, I know our will is fallen. I know all of that. I understand depravity. I understand all of the illustrations about being dead in trespasses and sins. But that you understand that when you say, well, a dead man can't do this, well, what are you doing walking around? We're spiritually dead. Of course we are. But God is the one that calls us. And when he calls us, he gives us the desire to want him. Whosoever will, whosoever wants to, can be saved. Now, the real kicker to that is you may not always want to. But I believe that a person, when they repent of their sin and they place their faith in Christ, they're born again. I don't believe they're born again before that time. That's the difference primarily when it all boils down to it as to whether we're made alive before we repent and before we trust in Jesus or if that being born again is due to the repentance and due to the putting your trust in Christ. I believe the latter. I understand the other arguments. I've read John Calvin. I've read his institutes. I have studied under Calvinists. I have studied under some of the best Reformed theologians. And I do not agree with them when it comes to the matter of salvation. I do in some aspects of it. I don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, but I believe that a man has to be called to salvation, but I do believe he can reject that. All I'm saying is there is a call to salvation, but there's also a call to service. Yes, we're all called to service in a general way, but I'm talking about a divine call for a specific purpose. You would need to also know that the call to salvation, the call to salvation, and the divine call to the prophetic ministry of preaching is a personal call. That means that it's between you and God. You don't have to ask your wife. You don't have to ask your brother, your sister, your mom and dad if you can get saved. If you know you need to be saved, you have the responsibility to say yes to God. And you may not be on your own. You may not be out from under your father and mother's household and authority, and you need to obey them. But what I'm saying is, as an adult, when you come to the point to where you understand that you need to be saved, that's between you and God, and it is even before you're out of the household. Now, if they say you cannot be baptized, then you're under their authority as long as you're in that household. On the other hand, as soon as you can, you need to be baptized and follow the Lord in believer's baptism because it's a personal call between you and God. You don't have to ask anybody about that. And so the call to preach is a personal call between you and God. You say, well, I need to get permission from my wife. You don't need to get permission from anybody. If God's called you to preach, preach. You say, well, what if my wife abandons me? Well, then you're free to get another godly woman that will want to do what you need to do to follow the call of God upon your life. But let me tell you, you don't have to have a wife to follow the call of God upon your life to be saved or to preach. That's a personal call between you and God. But now the call to be a pastor, that's an office. That's an office, friend. Yes, it's a gift in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, but the gift is not the pneumaticon. It is the person is the gift themselves to the church. But I'm not talking about the gift. I am talking about the office of a pastor. If any man desire the office of a pastor, the official position of a pastor, that's what we call it. It's really an episkopos, an overseer, or a presbyteros, an elder. We call it a pastor, a shepherd from the word poema or poimain that is used, for instance, in First Peter chapter 5. 
all to say that's not three offices, that's all one office. Use, the words are used interchangeably for the same position. But there are positions, there's a position of a deacon, but there's also the function and the practice of a deacon. For instance, Paul said he was a diakonos. He was a deacon. We know that he wasn't ordained to be a deacon, but he was serving. The word deacon is the word for servant. So there's an official sense of that, an office. And anytime you have an office, you have qualifications. See, there are no qualifications for the call to preach or the call to salvation or service because the only, really the only qualification is you're disqualified. In other words, you're not worthy of it. And so this is very, very important, and this is the first thing I want you to understand. And so let me sum this up. There is a call to service, a divine call to service. You don't just decide to do it one day. There is a divine call to salvation, and all of that has to do with you and God. But then there is a call to an official position, for instance, as a deacon. That's an official position, and that's a function, a practice. It's a position and it's a practice. It's very important. And by the way, this is the answer, I believe, to Phoebe being a deaconess. Just because she's called a deaconess, that doesn't mean she has an official office. That's the only place we see that in the Word of God. And people associate that with an office. That doesn't mean that she was an official deacon. That means that she was serving in the service of a deacon. Deacon, diakonos, is only one word for servant. And it's associated with an official office with a man, but it's not with a woman. That's just what the Bible teaches. Now, this is not me being a chauvinist or being a part of some patriarchal something. This is just what God says. Now, if you don't like that, I'm sorry. And if that offends you and you say, well, I know what God's called me to do. God's not going to call you to do anything that's not ordained in his word. And that's just it. Our culture doesn't determine what we do. Phoebe was a servant of the Lord, a highly honored servant of the Lord, but she did not hold an official office as I read the scriptures. And so there is an official capacity of a deacon. Matter of fact, the same thing is true of an apostle. There is an official office of an apostle. In Ephesians 4, the person, the apostle, the person themselves is a gift. They don't have the gift of apostle. They are the gift in Ephesians 4. This is very important to make this distinction. But yet all of us are apostoloi. We are those sent with a message. But I'm not an apostle in the official sense. There were qualifications for an apostle. For the office of an apostle, those are given in the book of Acts chapter 1. And nobody today is an official apostle in the truest sense of the word. Why? Because nobody is that old. Because you had to witness personally the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and had to have known him and followed him during the ministry. You say, well, what about Paul? What Paul say? I am one born out of due time. I am one of a special call. Everybody's not. And so all I'm saying is, that there is an official sense of an apostle and there is a practical sense of the apostle. All of us that are saved are those sent with a message, but everybody's not an official apostle. So I hope this helps you. We're going to deal with this more next week, but for On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.